A great pleasure to welcome Romulan Pillay, the Managing Director of Philips Southern Africa to What's Next. Romulan leads up the Southern African Management Team for Philips, a leading health technology company that's focused on improving people's health and well-being through meaningful innovation, and uh, they do a fantastic job doing that. Philips's uh, patient and people-centric innovation leverages advanced technology and deep clinical and consumer insights to deliver personal health solutions for consumers and professional health solutions for healthcare providers and their patients in the hospital as well as at home. Um, and it's a great pleasure to welcome you, Romulan. How are you doing? Uh, really great, and thank you for having me on here. That's a pleasure. You know, I was just thinking uh, back, you know, uh, I mean, 20 years ago, it would be unimaginable that, you know, your your patient could be at home and your doctor could be monitoring certain of your vital statistics from home. And it just changes the whole care and, and, and recovery of whatever uh, you're going through in, in terms of a medical crisis. But to be able to be doing this from home while your doctor's monitoring you is quite astonishing. For our viewers, who may not be aware, what does the Philips Future Health Index report investigate? Well, the, the index is, is the largest of its kind, uh, and it's done over 14 countries. This is the eighth year that it's in. Now, what it does is it, in, it investigates the views of healthcare leaders and in this this year, healthcare young healthcare professionals in how they view the future health outcomes, and also things like uh, virtual care, uh, telemedicine, etc. How is technology being adopted, specifically digital technology, to improve health outcomes, uh, and then just collects these insights. That's so interesting. So you say this is the eighth one of its kind. This is the eighth, eighth index that's, uh, that's come through. It must be so interesting when you compare the first one to this one, uh, and the insights are absolutely so fascinating. So why, why is it so important for Philips to contribute these valuable annual industry insights? I think these insights are needed for the bigger body of knowledge, right? And if you look at uh, the need to deliver more efficient, more effective health outcomes, this feeds that, right? So you're learning from your healthcare professionals, your healthcare leaders, and your young care healthcare professionals about the trends, about the benchmarkings, right? And and these need to be tracked. So this is where the the research becomes extremely important. And Romulan, this this research that was conducted, you mentioned it was across various countries. What um, was it across all sorts of um, you know developing countries, developed countries, because you know, they've all got different healthcare systems. Uh, so did you transgress right across different kinds of healthcare systems? Yeah, that's correct. In fact, it looked at 14 countries, and this was a mix of developed and, and developing countries as well. However, you know, in, in, in South Africa, you have quite a uh, large pool of key opinion leaders, and the level of sophistication of, of technology adoption is quite high. So it yes. also makes sense to use South Africa within this, this body of knowledge as well. Okay, very interesting. So now one of the index's findings, which I found fascinating, was that healthcare leaders are looking to streamline processes to help improve efficiencies. Because, you know, today we're all talking about efficiencies. These processes need to be smooth. 
And this is particularly important given the sector's acute workforce shortages, you know, and, and it's a big problem globally. What technologies are they embracing to achieve these particular streamlining goals that have been highlighted? I think you, you mentioned the key point there, right? How, how do we do more with less? So an, an example would be in an ICU environment, right? So we, as Philips, already have some cases where it's deployed the technology. So yeah, the clinicians and the doctors need to be able to see more patients, right? So you use virtual care, right, through the digital technology to be able to see more patients. But then you also have uh, these command centers, right, that uh, where you have a shortage of nurses, etc., and you also have a shortage of ICU beds, to then be able to use command centers where you can view the vital signs of patients, you can react quite sooner and make uh, make the best use of the stuff available to you. But then you also have uh, examples where the you know the patient wants to get home a lot sooner, right? So you also want to free up the ICU beds to treat more patients where you have a resource constraint. So then the patient can then be monitored in the home setup through the virtual care and, and things like telemedicine, etc., where the doctor can then monitor and then also with wearable devices as well. How fascinating. And I guess that we've also learned so much over the last three years through COVID, right, where we saw this crisis globally where there was a shortage of beds and, you know, healthcare professionals needed to streamline the process and say, like, if, you, if, you, if you're uh, well enough to recover at home, stay at home and recover. And I guess we need to be prepared for a crisis like that again in the future because it certainly is not if it will happen or uh, if, if we will get another strain like COVID, but there's a likelihood in, in the next few decades that we will have something similar again. Now, another interesting insight from this particular index I was reading was how different the local stance on virtual care is to the global view. Why is virtual care such a priority in South Africa? And how is this being facilitated on a, on a technology level? If I, if I go back to the previous example I used, uh, particularly in an ICU environment, right? So we have uh, many ICU departments in many hospitals, both in private and public sector, and the number of patients being treated is very high, right? You know, we have uh, the issue of quality access to care, which is also an imbalance. And in, in that type of scenario, the doctors have to do more with less, right? And you have a limited amount of specialists. So the virtual care then allows, for example, a clinician or a doctor to then view more patients, right? And, and then and not necessarily be physically present at the bedside, similarly for nurses. But then also in a, in a South African context, you also have a uh, big rural community that, that goes to primary health care and, and the clinic setup. An example would be for, you know, the World Health Standards say to us that we each pregnant uh, mom or expectant mom needs to have a scan within the first thousand days. And the stats in Africa are not that great. So what happens is you use uh, something like a portable ultrasound device, uh, which we call the Lumify, which then is able to be carried into the rural setup to do a scan on an expected mum so that you can get early risk stratification. And then those images can be fed back through the phone or through the tablet back to a, a doctor sitting at a tertiary hospital 
or an academic hospital or the secondary hospital to then review that and, and be able to help, right? The idea being that if there are any early risk factors, then to be alerted earlier and, and treat the, the mother. So I think the reason why the, the virtual care adoption is, is uh, so much higher in, in our area is because you have, I think, the will and purpose to want to treat more patients in the rural setup. But then also in, in the hospital environment, it's becoming increasingly expensive right, to maintain ICU beds as well. And then you add to that uh, the shortage that we have of specialists, why it makes sense. Wow. I mean, when you talk about that scanner, for example, that excites me because, I mean, even if you look at the, the price of that device versus, you know, the one that's, you know, the big thing that they've got in hospitals, it's like a fraction of the cost. And yet you're able to have that flexibility to move around and see more people um, and ultimately get those results to the people that need to look at it and decide on, on, on a prognosis or decide on where that pregnancy is. Um, now, there are, they do remain barriers. Let's be honest. Uh, there are many barriers to deliver the best possible medical services in South Africa. We are making good ground, but there are those barriers that still exist. What are the most prominent of these particular obstacles? And how are health care decision makers working to solve them? What are they doing around this? And to get through those obstacles that I believe, and I'm sure you believe too, these are solvable problems that we can overcome. Absolutely. And look, I, I think the the starting point is is a good point because I think we, we're blessed in, in this country with a very high IP in both public and, and private segment. And you have a high level of key opinion leaders, whether it's cardiovascular or oncology. Now, if you take uh, that resource pool, right, and, and you take the challenge that we have uh, and be able to better collaborate and partner, then definitely we, we can help address some of these areas. But when you look at the challenges, just as the survey pointed out that most young healthcare professionals and, and healthcare leaders see technology as the bridge to that gap to quality access healthcare and, and, and underpinned by digital technology, at the same time, they, they indicate that the level of investment you know, is so disparate, right? It's, it's not at the rate where it needs to be. So if you look at uh, the type of technology that's needed to address the staff shortages in, in, for example, public sector, hasn't kept up with momentum, right? So that, that that's one of the gaps you have. Then you also have uh, the training need, right? Where you have to upskill a lot of uh, healthcare workers and clinicians and professionals with the new technology. So... You know, an example is where you have different OEMs like myself, where you have maybe a CT scan, an ultrasound, you have a MRI, you have an X-ray. The technology that's embedded in there needs to be interoperable, right? So vendor agnostic. So if it doesn't, then, then you present a gap for the clinicians and doctors working. How do they assimilate all of that data together? Uh Another area that maybe to digress a little bit, I mean, I was on the uh, panel at, at uh, Gibbs recently and uh, there was an actuary who presented data and he said that, you know, with the best and smartest of technology, we will treat more patients. But one of the fundamentals to fix is, is employment creation because the majority of the population, you know, cannot survive on nutrition to the value of 25 rand a day, right? 
And this is quite serious. I mean, if we can address that, I think then we able to enable people with, through job creation to be able to then have better nutrition, right? So that they don't end up in, in hospitals. The other area I think is is a gap is is in the way technology is adopted. Right? I think we need the OEMs and the different technology companies together with, with the uh, research councils and government and private sector to come together so that we're building the, the right platforms. I think there's too many uh, good initiatives that lose momentum uh, because there's not this level of collaboration. I mean, you said it yourself that imagine if we could come together, we'd be able to solve all of these challenges that we, we have in the country. No, those are such fascinating insights. And I think the nutrition part is such an important one. You know, I mean, it's like glaring at us straight in the face. Um, and, you know, we, you know, if we can sort that out, and I, I love how actuaries think, actually, because, you know, you sort that out and you solve a lot of other problems um, and you take a lot of strain off the healthcare system automatically. When you look at Philips, I mean, you guys have been pioneers in this industry for a long, long time. You've been developing incredible solutions, and and certainly Philips, for me, stands out in the healthcare industry as one of those, you know, icons, those 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 beacons of light. How is Philips working to improve people's lives in the healthcare sector? And I imagine that there must be tremendous amount of research and development that takes place in the background without you know the day to day user like myself seeing this. No, we, we have some very real examples in, in South Africa. In fact, many. Uh, you know, whenever whenever I have visitors from, from outside of South Africa come in, I, I take them through to California and at the same time to a hospital like Centocare. In in Centocare, for example, the the uh, cat lab, it, it's very much designed about around the way clinicians and the uh, cardiovascular technicians come together in the workflow, right? So we're doing a lot of R&D in the workflow so that the, the doctor or the clinician can spend more time on the patient, right? And then the data, I mentioned this concept earlier about interoperability. So in a hospital environment where you have different equipment where the diagnosis and the imaging is being done, our technology then is allowing the data to come together so that a better care pathway can be built by the clinician. He has more time. So some of the concepts like AI is going into the uh, radiology environment to help get a um, diagnosis a lot sooner. Then if you if you consider areas like uh, Eastern Cape, right, where we have a, you know, the mother and child death rate is very high and resultantly their medical legal claims are quite high. So there we, we've partnered with the Ministry of Health to deploy a solution that will digitize the, the risk stratification for the mothers and babies very early on from the rural setup through to the secondary and tertiary hospitals so that we can reduce the, the death rates, right? And at the same time, have a digitized record so that when that patient goes from a clinic to a hospital, the risk profiling and the stratification can be done better. But at the same time, you have quite an advanced uh, pool of key opinion leaders in the country, uh, very advanced specialists. Uh, I always like to use this example at, at Red Cross Children's Hospital where 
our hemodynamic system initially uh, didn't cater for the level of pediatric cardiovascular procedures they were doing. And over a period of uh, a couple of months, we were able to innovate and build that back into the, the system so that that body of knowledge not only benefits South Africa, but also the rest of the world, right? And because of the level of specialization being done by the clinicians in the country. So these are, these are some of the areas. Uh, other areas include, uh, you know, if you consider uh, uh, environmentally sustainable processes and, and the use of equipment is quite important at the moment, right? Helium-free at, at a clinical, right clinical standard for MRI scanning we're the first to pioneer this, right? In fact, the only company at the moment that can supply this, the challenge we have is keeping up with the demand. But as I sit here, there are at least, uh, you know, several installation sites taking place in South Africa and, and Southern Africa where helium-free is being pulled by the private sector and government sector, uh, which is quite encouraging to see for the long-term total cost of ownership also to, to meet the right ESG guidelines and goals, but also it's quite expensive to, to have an MRI that, that runs on helium. So these are many areas in, in the country where these solutions have already been deployed. I can speak a lot longer about many other areas in, in the dig digitized space, but for now, I think that's sufficient. Thank you so much for those fascinating insights, Romulan, and uh, and sharing that uh, the interesting research that's come out of the index. Romulan Pillay, who's the managing director of Philips Southern Africa, thank you for joining us on What's Next. Lovely to be here. Thank you.